Hey, it's Mick from the Past and the Curious. Holy cow, you need to head over to kidslisten.org. That's the affiliate organization that we belong to, and there's some awesome stuff happening there. We've got some great friends making great podcasts for families and kids, anybody really. Uh, But there's a new web app, so you can discover all sorts of great shows. And coming later this summer, there's also going to be a mobile version of the app. And in addition to that, we recently undertook a survey about how kids listen to podcasts and the results are really inspiring and super awesome. Uh, So you got to go over there and check that out and check out all of our kids listen friends while you are there. First, a word from our sponsor. Heine Brothers Coffee is committed to organics and fair trade, recycling, friendly and relaxing shops, and a great cup of coffee. Now featuring coffees roasted in our headquarters and coffee roastery in Louisville's Portland neighborhood. If you're outside of Louisville, you can get coffee shipped to your door by ordering online at HeineBrosCoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E-B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. Heine Brothers Coffee, Louisville's neighborhood gathering place since 1994. Well, hey there. It's episode 10 of The Past and the Curious, and that's an exciting thing to us. Uh, feels good. We've had a lot of fun. We hope you're enjoying it, too. Um, speaking of fun, this episode's about underwear. What's not fun about underwear? But these are real stories from history about real people. Um, the first story is going to come from Jason Lawrence. Now, if you're a fan of Hamilton, you might recognize this man, Charles Lee. I don't think he came across very well in Hamilton. I asked some people what they thought of him based on his depiction, and nobody liked him. Uh, you'll get a little bit of a taste of why nobody liked him in our story. After that, we've got Victoria Rival telling a story about Lincoln and Lincoln's underwear. And after that, we've got a great song, one of my favorite old songs, called Long Handle Time in Tennessee. There's quiz time. There's also a song at the end to one of our Patreon sponsors, so make sure you listen for that too. Here's Jason Lawrence. Bannister Tarleton had a great name. I mean, just listen to it. Bannister Tarleton. But the many Americans who were fighting against Tarleton and his fellow British soldiers in 1776 more likely called him by his nickname, Butcher. Let's just say this. Bannister Tarleton was not someone you wanted knocking on your door, especially if he was knocking early in the morning, before you'd fully dressed, as we'll find out later. It was about six months after the soon-to-be United States of America had declared their independence from Great Britain. Unfortunately for the Americans, Great Britain controlled the most powerful army and navy in the world, and it was their job to enforce their king's position that the former American colonies couldn't and wouldn't become an independent nation. The British Army was doing a good job. They had spent the past summer and fall taking control of New York City and chasing George Washington and his army across the states of New York and New Jersey. And calling Washington's troops an army was a stretch. The British had a collection of well-trained soldiers, career soldiers, professionals, 
George Washington and the rest of the American army didn't have that. They had militiamen, volunteers, and an assortment of fellows who, though brave, had little, if any, formal training. To make matters worse, these men had signed up for enlistment terms that were going to end with the new year, and now it was December. Without a hope of success for the American cause, these soldiers would surely go home, leaving the army severely understaffed. Old George Washington was in dire need of a victory, and the eyes and spirits of the American Republic were on the graceful, six-foot-two-inch-tall general from Virginia. But now people began to whisper, perhaps George Washington is not the right man to lead the American army. What experience does he really have? Sure, he was a dashing soldier for the British army, and he had been during the French and Indian War but he had not been involved with the military for nearly 15 years by the time the 13 colonies decided to separate themselves from Great Britain and the king. Still, when an American army was officially created, the Continental Congress believed in Washington's potential so greatly they chose to put him in charge. As we all know, this would prove to be a wise decision. But at the time, not everyone was completely sure that Washington was destined to be the icon he has become today. While many whispered, others began to voice their doubts about George quite loudly. Can you believe it? People doubted George Washington? The man in all the paintings? On your dollar bills? And whose name graces our capital city? Perhaps the loudest doubter was a canine-loving man who always traveled with a pack of dogs, Charles Lee. Like George Washington, Lee was once a British officer. Unlike Washington, he served the King of England both on American soil and throughout Europe, and he only permanently moved to America in 1773, two years before the American Revolution began to take shape. When the war broke out, he volunteered his service for the American rebels. Because of his resume and credentials, which were very, very good, he also fully expected to be the man in charge of the American army, and he was eager to strut his stuff. He was made a general, but the title of Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army went to George Washington. This offended Lee. He believed himself to be more qualified and capable. As a general, Lee saw some great successes, a few of which came around the same time that Washington was not having any luck of his own. So Lee used this to his advantage. He wrote letters to the Continental Congress, spoke with other officers, and chatted with anyone with any bit of power. He was trying to undermine George Washington. He pointed out George's mistakes and shortcomings. He bragged about his own strengths. He tried to take George Washington's job. One thing that didn't seem to concern General Lee too greatly was that the British Army saw him as a traitor. Several people in the Army, including a man who had served alongside Lee in the British Army, that man with the great name, were after him. Bannister Tarleton's mission was to track General Charles Lee. Chased by the British Army, Lee and Washington had both taken troops out of New York. They were separated, and the bulk of the men wound up with General Lee. Racing his troops across New Jersey and towards Pennsylvania, Washington desperately needed Lee and his men to join him. The American numbers were shrinking. American prisoners had been taken, and as the British chased those remaining, morale was at an all-time low. Many American soldiers became deserters. They figured they'd rather go home to their families than fight a losing war and potentially be imprisoned, or worse. It was at this dark time that the writer Thomas Paine, who was traveling with the army, 
wrote the famous words, These are the times that try men's souls. For days, Lee ignored Washington's messages to rendezvous the troops, or meet at the same time and place. It was irresponsible for him to disobey Washington's orders, and we can only guess why he did. Eventually, Lee and his troops began to move to join Washington, but on December 12th, he made a huge mistake. Against his better judgment, Charles Lee chose to spend the evening away from his army. Instead, Lee and a small group of his guards found themselves in the small town of Basking Ridge, New Jersey, miles away from his men. There was an inn there, White's Tavern. And though the sun set early and left the town as dark as tar, the men did not sneak in unnoticed. Someone from town, someone who was still loyal to the crown of England, saw them. And this someone said something about it to the British. Meanwhile, the unaware Lee ate, worked, and slept. The next morning he slept in, rising after the sun on the cold December day. With guards posted at the door and in other rooms of the tavern, Lee sat at his portable desk. He felt safe enough to write a few letters in his sleeping gown, something an officer like him would never like to be seen wearing in public. At ten that morning, the racket of charging horse hooves pounding down the lane pulled his attention from his writing. Soon, he could hear loud voices outside. They sounded threatening. One of his men peered out the window and saw the red coats of British soldiers outside. They soon realized that the loudest voice heard was that of Bannister Tarleton. Lee had no time. Panic set in. While some of his men grabbed weapons, others just tried to escape out the back door. It is actually said that poor old Charles Lee tried to hide in the fireplace. But all of their efforts were pointless. Bannister Tarleton made it simple. Come out, or we burn the tavern to the ground. As you can imagine, the nice woman who owned the tavern grew quite upset by this. What did she do to deserve such a thing? But luckily for her, the building would remain unharmed. Charles Lee had no real choice but surrender to Bannister Tarleton, and he had to do so without the opportunity to put on his clothes. It was an indignity for a general to be taken by surprise, but to be taken in what were essentially his underwear? That was bad. Life never really got any better for Lee. He was held captive for years and finally freed in exchange for a British officer. Another failure later in the war would ultimately doom his career and any remaining popularity, though he continued to disparage Washington. He was probably just mad about the underwear thing, though. Washington, on the other hand, would get the victory he so desperately needed a few weeks later when the American army won the Battle of Trenton after the sneaky and extremely cold crossing of the Delaware River on Christmas night of 1776. The war would go on for nearly five more years, but this would prove to be one of the most important moments and one that gave Americans hope that they could actually succeed. Luckily for him, there are no reports of Washington getting caught in his underwear. But stay tuned for a story about another iconic president's homemade drawers seeing the light of day. Hey, does anybody know what time it is? It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time.
Okay, it's time for an underwear quiz. We promise we'll keep it clean. Well, yeah, I can't make that promise. Question number one. Do you know what type of underwear is said to have been created in honor of the boxer John L. Sullivan? No relation to me. Haha, <laughs> trick question. Though boxer shorts became popular in the mid-1900s and were based on shorts worn by other boxers, John L. Sullivan was famous for wearing, many years earlier, a pair of long, tight pants during his matches, and we call these Long Johns today. Question number two. Now, before Long Johns became popular, another underwear, originally designed for women, combined a shirt and pants into one unified outfit. Do you know what it was called? They're, of course, famous for the comedic trap door on the backside. You've seen those for sure. But a union suit was once the most popular underwear in all of America. As we said, originally worn by women, it became standard for men as well. And hold your nose, because often working men would wear the same union suit for a week's worth of work before washing it. Remember what we said about not being able to promise that we could keep it clean? Well, those men were not keeping it clean. And your third and final question. Knickers is a word used to describe various types of pants and underwear. But we probably know the word today because of its usage by a famous American author. Do you know who that is? He was famous for writing Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. Washington Irving also wrote the book that is confusingly titled History of New York by Diedrich Knickerbocker. So the term Knickerbocker came to describe both Dutch immigrants and this particular type of short pants that they would wear. From pants, the shortened word knickers came to describe underwear. Sports fans, you might want to take note too, that an even shorter version of the word Knicks is the name of the local basketball team. And here's Victoria Rival with a story about a famous man who saw another famous man's underwear. Washington Roebling earned his place in history several times over. During the Civil War, he was an important man in the Union Army, not because he was a particularly great soldier, but because he had learned how to build bridges from his father. In a war that crossed dozens of rivers multiple times and one that regularly saw bridges destroyed to slow the enemy, having an engineer who could build bridges safely and quickly was as important as having good doctors and a strong, dependable general. But his duties didn't end there. He was also eager to put his good eyesight to use. In order to scope great distances, which was hard to do in the 1860s, the Union Army would send a few men up in tethered hot air balloons in hopes of spying on enemy movements. Hard to imagine a balloon going unnoticed, especially in that day and age, but still. Washington Roebling was high on a hot air balloon one summer day in 1863, looking for a sign of Robert E. Lee's Confederate Army. Fortunately, from his seat in the sky, he spotted them on their march north towards Gettysburg. This allowed the Union soldiers to prepare to meet them in the field. 
This was the only time the Southern Army would press into Union territory during the war, and a victory at Gettysburg could have led a win for the South. The events did not turn out that way, perhaps in a small part due to Roebling's vision. After the war, Washington traveled to Cincinnati to help his father finish a beautiful new suspension bridge over the Ohio River, connecting the states of Kentucky and Ohio. It's still there today if you'd like to see it. Next, and most famously, he worked with his father to build the massive, momentous, and life-changing Brooklyn Bridge. Nothing like it had ever been built, and still today, it is an amazing sight to behold, a treasure of the American people. But very early in the project, his father died from an injury which he refused to have treated properly. Very suddenly, Washington became the person in charge of building the remarkable structure. For years, he struggled against his own flagging health, but with the help of his wife, Emily, as well as some trusted engineers, they all saw the bridge open to great fanfare. This is why he is remembered. But we want to share a story that he himself remembered about another man. It seems Washington Roebling recorded one of the most unusual and quite likely more embarrassing moments in Abraham Lincoln's life. When he was in the Army in the spring of 1864, Roebling was in Virginia with Ulysses S. Grant's troops as they prepared for what would become known as the Battle of the Wilderness. Gettysburg had happened. The North pulled out a lucky victory. But the war was far from over, and the president, Abraham Lincoln himself, had traveled the distance from Washington, D.C. to visit Grant and his soldiers. The men were drilling, resting, preparing, healing, and probably enjoying not currently being in the middle of an active conflict, though there was always another one on the horizon. They were probably excited to see Lincoln in person. Mr. Lincoln knew how much these men were sacrificing and wanted to help give them strength and encouragement. He liked to see the men, and he liked for the men to see him. He just didn't know exactly how much of him they'd see. Anyone who knows anything about President Lincoln knows he was widely recognized for his wit, intellect, and wise tongue. In fact, not many presidents have been skinnier than him. James Madison surely was, but beyond that, you'd be hard-pressed to find a president with such a bony frame. Just keep that in mind. On this day in Virginia, Lincoln appeared to the men first on the back of his horse. It was observed that this horse was not an impressive specimen. In fact, its unfriendly demeanor was a poor match for Lincoln's not-so-great horsemanship. It seems this visit began on the wrong foot. But Lincoln was really here for a review of the troops. Part of the review of the troops included a march in which Lincoln participated. And this is where things really fell apart. Early on, his famous stovepipe hat fell from off his head, likely blown by a gust of wind. It seems that in trying to pick it up, something happened to his pants. The letter Roebling wrote makes it difficult to understand how exactly it happened, but without a doubt, the men of Roebling's company saw Lincoln's long, hairy legs and homemade white drawers, or underwear. It seems as if, while chasing his hat and bending over, his ill-fitting pants became a part of a, <clears throat> a wardrobe malfunction, thereby answering the question, Commander-in-Chief, boxers or briefs? As you can imagine, the men wanted to laugh and smile, but since this was the President of the United States, in such an embarrassing situation, they tried their best to conceal their true emotions. They tried, instead, to show their regret that something like this happened to so great a man. 
We'd like to think that Mr. Lincoln saw the humor in the event, if not at the moment, pretty soon afterwards. He was certainly famous for his ability to laugh, and he did not typically spare himself. Now, it was many years later that Roebling would write about Lincoln's visit in a letter, and we have no cause to doubt the accuracy of his memory. But still, we can find it hilariously appropriate that the events happened on April 1st, 1864. Today, what we call this... April Fool's Day. Here's Roebling's quote. See if you can picture what happened. Soon after the march began, his stovepipe hat fell off. Next, his pantaloons, which were not fastened on the bottom, slipped up to his knees, showing his white homemade drawers, secured below with some strings of white tape, which presently unraveled and slipped up also, revealing a long, hairy leg. While we were inclined to smile, we were at the same time very much chagrined to see our poor president compelled to endure such unmerited and humiliating torture. Next time you feel embarrassed about a mishap, remember it happens to the best of us. sure many of you will have heard this song before but it's one of my favorites it's a goofy song uh from another era it's from a time when uh most people got their entertainment from the radio and there was a duo uh two men named homer and jethro which were stage names that weren't their real names um and they would do live live radio programs and they would sing what i think are pretty funny songs and this song is about uh underwear long underwear it's called long handle time and long handles are a name another name for long underwear particularly uh long underwear made of wool that you would wear in the coldest of the colds when it's long handle time in tennessee I will take my old guitar upon my knee When the winter wind it blows I will yodel through my nose It's long and time in Tennessee In Tennessee Long handle time in Tennessee. I'll get out my old red handles. I mean them old red flannels when it's long handle time in Tennessee. Now there are many types of handles you can wear. There are wide ones, short ones, thin ones, thick and square. But the ones that I love best, they're the ones with a little vest. For they button and there ain't no pardon there. No pardon there, no pardon there, for the button and there ain't no pardon there. Well, they're like my grandpa's hair, for there ain't no pardon there. That's why I love my winter underwear. The other day, my long handles I had put there for to stay. But what I opened up to see, it sure embarrassed me. The rats had not a hole through the knee. To the knee, to the knee. For the rats had not a hole plumb to the knee. So I put them on the shelf. I ate the rest myself. 
the little parts the rats had left for me. When I die and they put me in my grave, there is only one thing, Mama, that I crave. When they lay me down to rest, please fulfill my last request, and won't you button my long handles over me? Over me, over me, won't you button my long handles over me? Now this song ain't meant to tease, listen to our little please, put your handles on before you start to And now it's time for us to thank our Patreon sponsors before we go. If you would like to become a sponsor, find us on Patreon.com. You can find the link also on our website, thepastandthecurious.com. Um, we've got some some great people sponsoring us. Uh, so today, thanking them for the $5 level, I'd like to thank Keith. Thanks, Keith. And I would like to thank Darla. Thank you, Darla. But most of all today... I need to thank our first donor at the $22 level, which is also known as the Two Past and Two Curious level. And because Lindy Lou donated at the Two Past and Two Curious level, she gets a song. So enjoy the song and think about giving yourself. Thank you so very much. We'll see you at episode 11. Ooh.